I don't know where you were um, or what you were doing on that Tuesday, but I would imagine your experience was something like mine. I was a freshman in college and I was walking to second hour when someone walked up to me and said, Tommy, Tommy, did you hear? And upon hearing what happened from them, I immediately, I remember this feeling, I immediately wanted to talk to the people that I most loved. I wanted to talk to my parents. I wanted to talk to my grandmother. I wanted to talk to my friends. I wanted to, to talk to them because I think there was something in me that didn't want to be alone. And I wasn't the only one. I, I, I saw and found the entire student body beginning to leave their classrooms and gathering together in the chapel there on that campus. As, as we watched on this gigantic screen in our chapel, we watched the live news feeds and, and we sat in silence. We just watched and just cried and the professors were trying to, to help students process things and student leaders were trying to help each other process. And, and eventually I reached into my backpack and I opened up my Bible to a passage that one of our professors was mentioning to us in there. And I want to read those verses to you. These verses are, are going to seem so irrelevant to you this morning. Um, in the same way they seemed irrelevant to me that morning. And the interesting thing is that these words that came from the mouth of Jesus in John chapter 14 must have seemed beyond irrelevant to the group of people he spoke them to. In fact, they must have been offensive to them. And he was at the end of his ministry and the tide had turned in his life. The tide had turned against him. The crowd had begun to thin out. And now people were looking to not praise him. They were looking to arrest him and to execute him. And the stage was just set for witnesses to gather together and falsely accuse him. And in this moment in John chapter 14, he gathered with his 12 faithful men and they knew things were not as they had been. At one point, these disciples had been incredibly popular and it looked like they were going to usher in with Jesus the kingdom of God. And now it looked like to them like that king was going to be put to death. And Jesus just kept talking to them about, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. They kept saying, where are you going? If you're going, we want to go too. And he says, where I'm going, you can't go. Listen, I'm leaving you. And in the midst of all of that chaos, with their lives being threatened, Jesus spoke these words that I want to read to you from John 14, 27. What he, what he says here started so irrelevant, seemed so irrelevant to these disciples, but later for the same group of people became a benchmark. Later, these words became a battle cry. Later, this became their central theme, their central voice to the message that they were going to take all over the world. And as a result, here we are today, 2,000 years later, gathered in hopes this morning that the God of those 12 men would speak to us and give us perspective. So turn to John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus is speaking to his chosen few and again, Imagine what must have run through their minds when he spoke this to them. He said, peace, I'll leave with you. What an oxymoron to the disciples, right? I mean, here they are, they're thinking, peace? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh -uh. hold up, Jesus. We don't have peace as it is. Like right now, now you're talking about leaving us and, and you're saying, but I'm gonna give you and leave you peace. We don't have peace now. We're definitely not going to have peace when you leave. It's bad enough when we can see you, when we can physically touch you, we can, when we can physically hear your voice. But if you leave, there's not going to be any peace. And any remnant of peace that we might have, you're going to take with you when you leave. We have no peace. So what do you mean when you said, my peace, I'll leave with you? And then he continues. He says, my peace, I give you. 
It's as if Jesus is saying, this is not the peace that you've known. I don't, I don't give to you as the world gives you. I'm not giving you peace like you've always known peace to be. The peace that you've always known and that we've always known is hitched to circumstances around us, right? He says, I'm not giving you that kind of peace. The peace that we normally know is peace where I have peace when the world is the way that I think it should be. When my kids are healthy, I have peace. When my marriage is good, I have peace. When the money is coming in, I have peace. When there's no troubles at work, when everything is how I want it to be, that's peace. When my wrinkle-free little world continues to be wrinkle-free, that's peace. I have peace. The peace, he says, that you know disciples, the peace that we know as a church, that peace that we grapple with every day and we try to make sure that we keep, we work hard to keep that kind of peace is the peace that is connected to and completely dependent on the circumstances around us, isn't it? The way it is around us, if it's a bad day, if my world comes crashing down, my peace is gone. And so as circumstances goes, so goes my peace. If the days go, go south, so goes my peace. And so when things don't go my way, there's turmoil in my life. That's what I think of when I think I have lost my peace. Because peace is simply the emotional state of being where you know that everything is fine. That's the way we look at peace. And that's not what Jesus is talking about, where everything's just going to be okay where I don't have to worry because I know the end. Everything is fine. Everything's gonna work out. It's what we say to our children when they're scared, when they have no peace, and we say, it's gonna be fine, it's gonna be fine. Peace is knowing on the inside that everything is going to be fine. And when my world falls apart and I no longer know that everything is gonna be fine, my peace evaporates, right? My peace begins to evaporate. And so the disciples are saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're going to leave us with peace, but you're leaving. You're leaving. We can't have peace. If you go, our peace is gone with you. As circumstances go, so goes our peace. And Jesus says, I'm leaving you a completely different kind of peace. The peace I'm going to leave you is not hitched to or strapped in by the world around you. It's completely different. What I'm going to give you is different to which I'm sure the disciples were thinking, tell us more. Tell us more. Like explain that to us. We are desperate for hope. We are desperate for peace. Give us something. Tell me. Tell me, Jesus. Because at this point on 9-11, in the history of our nation in 2001, the world that day was falling apart. The world that day, and, and really even today in 2011, 10 years later, we are still desperate as a people for real hope, aren't we? Real peace. We don't want some plastic peace, some plastic hope. We want something substantial. And Jesus says in this passage, because of this peace that I'm leaving with you, because of this peace that I give you, he goes on and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm not giving to you what the world gives to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. And they must have looked at him and they must have said, what in the world do you mean? He's saying, look, don't be thrown off balance. Listen, don't, don't be thrown off balance. And the whole time he's talking to them, they're thinking, whoa, 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 you know something that we don't know because you're talking to us as if there's something that's gonna happen in our near future that we need this peace and this hope of. And, and it, it seems like you know something about our future. You know that there must be some events that you're preparing us for. We feel like you're giving us a warning. And if you, Jesus, are able to say to us disciples, hey, something's about to happen. In the midst of all the circumstances and in the midst of all that, you're able to maintain hope. Then not only do you know something about the future, 
but you know something about peace and hope that we don't know. So they really begin to lean in and really listen to what Jesus is saying because how could we not know in, in our circumstances? How could, we, how could we know peace? How could we not know trouble? How could we not let our hearts be troubled in circumstances that we find ourselves in today? That's what they're thinking then. That's what they think on 9-11. And that's what many of us that are very concerned about what even might happen to our country today, on this day, what we're thinking. And then his insult goes even deeper to them as well to us as he concludes it. And he says, do not be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. He says to the disciples, listen, you're about to experience something that you know nothing about. And when it happens, listen, church, listen, when it happens, don't back down. You're about to go through something you don't understand. And when it happens, don't lose hope. Don't be timid and do not be afraid. And they must have looked at each other and thought, how can he say that? Doesn't he understand that they are coming for him, that they're ready to kill him, that they are ready to persecute all of us? Doesn't he understand the times that we're in? They're looking around each other and he's saying, don't be afraid. Do not be troubled. Don't be timid. Don't back down. You grasp what I'm saying to you. And in that, even us, as we sit here today with the memory of a day full of terror 10 years ago, right now, and many again with the fear of something happening to our country this very day, 10 years later, we're found asking the same question this morning. How are your words relevant today, Jesus? How? How? How are you relevant to my life? My peace, I leave with you. My hope, how, do you, how is that going to be relevant for us? And eventually the disciples got it, didn't they? I mean, they got it because the, the events happened. In fact, later on, the apostle Paul, you don't have to turn there, but in Philippians chapter 4, Paul, in his writings, echoed the same thought from what Jesus said in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And it seems so insensitive to say this, but look at verse 7. Verse 7, he goes on and he says, And the peace of God, and there's our word, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know what it means when Paul writes, transcends all understanding? It means that when you tap into and experience the kind of peace we're talking about this morning, people look at you and say, is something wrong with you? Right? I mean, people look at you and they say, well, do you not see what's happening all around us? They look at you. Are you not paying attention to the times in which we live? Why are you not freaking out? I don't understand how you can have so much hope and peace with the circumstances going on in this world around you. I don't get you. How can you be that way? How can that be true in you? And the Apostle Paul, who was no stranger to hard times, right? He was persecuted. He, he had been stoned. He was shipwrecked. He had paid a very high price for his faith in God. Says that in the midst of a world that's falling apart around you, he even echoes the words. C.S. Lewis echoes his words later on. He says, you can experience full-blown peace. You can experience full-blown hope, not circumstantial, but a whole different category of hope. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what Paul had experienced. That's what C.S. Lewis has experienced. And that's where many of us are found this morning. And many of us are struggling to find that this morning. With the disciples, I'm sure they're looking at each other going, what in the world is he talking about? Jesus, you're so confusing right now. What are you talking about? How can you say that? How can you promise us something? 
that will allow us not to be troubled and not to be afraid with everything that I see going on right now in my life. See, this is it. Jesus knew something that they didn't. He knew that within a matter of hours, listen, listen, church, a matter of hours, that he would be arrested and taken away from them. Hours. And that they would stand back and watch one of the worst crimes committed in all of history to a single individual. That, that it was happening not only, but it was happening to a man that they knew was God. It was happening to their Lord, their Savior. And, and that he would be unjustly accused. Not by average everyday people who are just sinners, but by the religious leaders. The religious leaders of all the people. That they were the ones accusing him and that he would be flogged within an inch of his life. He knew that that was happening in hours. That he would be strapped to a Roman cross. Nails put in his hands and his feet. That a crown of thorns was going to be placed on his head. And that they would set him up as a public spectacle. Listen, a public spectacle. And he would bleed to death in front of his family and friends and followers. He knew that was going to happen in hours. And in that moment, when all that happened, when all the chaos hit, when all the fear overwhelmed them, in that moment, they scattered like the wind. Why? Why did they scatter? They didn't have substantial peace. Why were they so scared? Why were they so fearful? Why? Why in the middle of that chaos, why couldn't they grasp what Jesus had said? Because they didn't have hope. But three days later, they were reacquainted. Imagine this, people. They were reacquainted with their living, resurrected Savior. And at that moment, it dawned on them that God is not only in control, but that our God proved once and for all at the resurrection that he has the power to take the most evil intentions of mankind and to use them in a way to not only bring glory to himself, but to even draw people to himself in the chaotic times. How unbelievable is that? And for the rest of their lives, these men that were so scared, that were so fearful, that when, in, when they were in the midst of chaos, all they could feel was fear and pain. And they were so afraid. In the middle of that, later on, they were equipped to go and preach the gospel all over the world with boldness. And it wasn't some prosperity gospel where you could just trust Jesus and, and everything in your life is, is going to go your way. Their gospel was this. That regardless of what happens around you, there is a God who is in charge. There's a God who is in control. There's a God who is a king and will one day establish a legitimate, true kingdom. And no matter what you experience around you, you can have a grand and true and foundational hope of knowing that God is in control and that one day he's going to take all the evil in this world, all of it, and turn it around. And in fact, he won't even just turn it around and make it good. He will use it to draw all people to himself. Amen? Isn't that incredible to think that we serve a God who can turn the most evil of days and make it the best day to point it to him? Isn't that unbelievable? The worst day in your life, the worst circumstance you could find yourself in, the worst moment, that can be turned into a grand moment of hope and of peace and of truth. I think that's incredible. And so they understand what many of us have experienced in our lives, that, that the event that causes us to say, where in the world is God? Where are you, God? The event that so many people have on their minds today, that event, when you begin to think questions like that, where are you, God? That actually has the potential to lead you directly to him. 
and that the set of circumstances that causes us to just stop and wonder and be fearful, it's in that moment that God has our undivided attention, finally, right? And the hopeless circumstances that we find ourselves in may be the very circumstances that ultimately bring us hope. Isn't that ironic? And in that moment when, when these disciples ran for their lives, they, they were fearful and they ran for their lives and they just watched Jesus be crucified. It was in that moment when they were reacquainted with him as a living savior. In that moment, they got it. In that moment, they understood. And those fearful, timid, inconsistent fishermen went out and they changed the world. Was it because they suddenly understood everything? No, no. All their questions weren't answered. They didn't get Jesus still, but it was because they knew God was in control and that no matter what happened to them, no matter what was going on around them, no matter what chaotic events were there, there was hope above all else and that God was in control, that he was the master of bringing from chaos and evil in this world his purposes and his plans and that ultimately even for us as individuals today that there is Did God cause what happened 10 years ago? I don't think so. Did God allow it? Sure he did. Will God use it? Absolutely he will. And not only use it, I guarantee you he will use it continuously throughout the history of mankind. He will continuously use it to draw those who are far from God back to him because this is the God who down through the ages, people, listen, he's proven over and over and over again that he's able to step into the chaos in the middle of it and bring out of it something that's unexpected, to bring out of it something that's surprising and to bring out of it a full and strong hope. In the Old Testament, you know the story where where there's a 17-year-old boy who's taken by his brothers, thrown into a pit and, and left for dead, sold into slavery, And for years, through his teenage years, into his 20s, and even into his 30s, Joseph is left wondering, where are you, God? What are you up to in my life? What are you trying to do? And at the end of this story of his life, God had used this tragedy, this tragedy that was brought about by evil from his brothers. He used it to establish the nation of Israel in Egypt, the entire nation. How unbelievable. For 400 years, In the Old Testament, people suffered under slavery. And generation after generation after generation came and went, suffering all kinds of cruelty, suffering all kinds of abuse. And children grew up in slavery, and it was all that they knew all their lives. And they were left wondering, where are you, God? What are you up to in my life? And the whole time, God was positioning his nation under the thumb of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, for the purpose to draw the world's attention to himself when he led them and left the nation of Egypt and led them out of slavery. The world's attention, the world's eye was on him and Egypt was left in shambles. And years later, God allowed the evil of the Babylonian empire who came in and destroyed that same Israel, tore down every building, destroyed all the leaders, left every godly city in the area demolished. All ceased to exist, the Bible says, but... The question was there, where are you, God? What are you up to in our lives? And God used that pain. God used that suffering, as C.S. Lewis spoke of, of those Jewish people to draw their attention to him, and they repented. He brought them back to their land, and it paved the way for the coming Messiah, 
Jesus himself paved the way for him to come and to redeem us. God was in the middle of all of it because God is always in control and God has always been alive in hope. That's God's way. He's in control. You think God's brought good out of what happened 10 years ago? I absolutely do, because in an instant, he had the attention of our nation. In a moment, everywhere, all over the world today, God has the attention of every nation who is very hesitant to give God undivided attention. He has the attention of a nation that wants to believe that all is well without him. The attention of a nation that that feels like that we can do life, we can do what we want without him. He has the attention of a nation today who has become so rich and powerful and so fair. We've decided that we just don't need God anymore. And when you grab the attention of people like that, when you grab the attention of a nation like that, you begin to see how faithful God has been and the hope and security and peace that God can give our nation now. That he has the power to do amazing things in your lives, in your families. That he has the power to do amazing things in our nation if we'll stand under the cross, if we'll stand united in the cross. That's what God does. That's who God is. See, our hearts can be troubled today over tragedy. Our hearts can be troubled over that. Our hearts can be troubled over children who will never see their mothers and their fathers again on this earth. Our hearts can be troubled over the first responders who will never see their comrades again on this earth. And absolutely, our hearts should be broken over the evil that's caused this tragedy. But as those people in this church, man, who have placed our hope and our faith in God, our hearts should not be troubled over God's involvement. We shouldn't be troubled because of the power and presence of God. We shouldn't be troubled to the point that we lose our hope in the God in whom we've placed our trust. We should never lose hope in that. All may not be well in America, but all is well in the soul of every single man or woman who has placed their faith and hope in God. Every soul, every heart full of peace, peace that doesn't come from this world, hope that doesn't come from this world, joy that doesn't come from this world. In the middle of the chaos, it can be you that has hope. In the middle of the fear, it can be you that has a reassuring peace that no one could give you, no church could give you, but that is completely sustained and provided by the God of all gods. So today, church, let's pray. Let's pray that our church, that this church, the the worldwide church, but for our church as well, that we would sense what God is up to in our community, what God is up to in our nation. Let's pray that we would sense what God is up to in the world and that we would, sure, that we would absolutely mourn the most tragic day maybe in the history of our entire nation, that we would hurt for those who've lost loved ones, that we would be pained over the believers that battle anger this morning toward those that caused it. But all of that being said, the number one commitment for us today is that we want to rejoice in the fact that nothing can steal our hope, nothing can steal our peace because we serve a God in the middle of chaos that is in control. We serve a God that has proved over and over and over and over again that he can reach down into this kind of tragedy and bring about good. He can reach down into your despair this morning, wherever you're at emotionally, spiritually, can reach into those doubts, into those fears, into those struggles of insecurity and change you and bring about good. That what God, what God has brought about today is hope and peace beyond any other understanding. 
and what man intended for evil, God has the ability, the unimaginable power to bring about good, that this morning your hope is not lost, that our hope in Christ will always rise in the midst of darkness. And it is not some fairy tale to to pump you up. It is not some thing that's just cliche to say because it's a certain day. It is the truth of the Bible. It's the truth that, that that I can only stand on when everything else fades. It's the only truth you'll have. That the bedrock, foundational truth is that your hope is only in Christ, in Christ alone. And that's a beautiful thing today, church. That's a beautiful thing. Can you stand and let me pray for you? I just want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And I just want you to think about your life this morning. I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know where many of you are at emotionally. I don't know if it's very difficult for many of you to stand this morning and to worship. I don't know. I'm sure for some of you, Today is a difficult day for you to even get out of bed and to even want to come to church. I'm sure today makes a lot of doubts arise in your mind over your life and over your walk with the Lord, your relationship. But in all of that, I want to tell you that in the soul of a man or a woman that's given their lives fully, everything in them to God, there's a sure hope that no one can take from you. There is a peace that no one can steal from you that what man intends for evil in your life, in the middle of that panic, in the middle of that chaos, in the middle of your despair this morning, that there's a hope found in one and one alone and it's him that we wanna worship. It's him that we wanna lift up. It's him that we realize darkness trembles in his presence, in his presence that Satan can't do a thing. The one that lives inside of you the one that provides that joy, that peace, that long suffering in that today. I'm telling you, if you struggle with fear, if you're struggling with panic, if you struggle with the chaotic style of your life, the pain in your life, you need to give it to the king, the king who can sustain any fear you have, any doubt that you have, because ultimately darkness will tremble. Ultimately darkness will will fall in the light of the one who loves you. And so I pray that you be worshipers. I pray this morning, in a moment as I pray for you, I pray that you would be worshipers of the Most High God, that you wouldn't be timid, that you wouldn't be afraid, that you wouldn't back down in your heart toward the doubts that you feel, but you would meet them headlong with the King who can provide peace and hope like none other. Can you do that today? I pray that you can. Jesus, I I pray, God, for our church, Lord, that we would be able to lift your name up this morning, not in fear and not in despair, not as people who are playing defense in our lives.